Let me tell you a story, podcast number 129. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago, it was the age of never mind it is a truth how long we saw. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, I'm Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Happy New Year, and welcome to 2021. Also, we welcome you to Let Me Tell You a Story. We have a fun podcast for you today with a man who's been involved with racing most of his life. With over 30 years of racing experience, DJ Everett has many wins under his belt, but his local claim to fame is winning the 2015 Meridian Speedway Hornet Championship. DJ has also been a race announcer for more than a dozen years, and so far has announced at 20 tracks in seven states. Plus, he does race announcing for DVDs and television and has a podcast called Turn 5 Live that he hosts with two other racing enthusiasts. Thank you, DJ, for joining us on a cold winter day. I've been to a racetrack something like three times in my life, so I'm looking forward to learning more about racing from you. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure being here. So I get to ask the first question. I'd like to start at the beginning. Do you remember the very first moment something about racing sparked your lifelong interest in the sport? I do remember that. Um, living in my home state of New Jersey, I my earliest memories is when I was about four years old, even though my father will tell you that he brought me my first race when I was three, which I can't remember that, but my earliest memories is when I was four years old, and I went to this, um, my dad took me to this small track that races every Friday night in the town of Pinebrook, New Jersey, and ever since then, since I was three, four years old, I've had an interest in it ever since. And before you know it, I'm going to be going on 50 years of involvement in the sport pretty soon. When was the first time you sat in a race car or took the wheel of one? And what was your first race like? So my very first race behind the wheel, well, actually my very first experience behind the wheel of a race car, I had to say when I was actually four years old, my dad bought me what is a type of race car known as a quarter midget, the equivalent of a go-kart. And uh, I would just race it around my backyard between these two trees. I would just make laps around these two trees when I was four years old. My very first time in a race was when I have to say I was about 16 years old. And um, I would race these open wheel cars. They're called Formula, um, Formula Ford cars. They almost look like Formula Formula One cars, but much, much slower, uh, much cheaper than a Formula One car. I would race those cars. Uh, and uh, my first track I raced it on was at the popular Riverside Raceway in Southern California, which is not there anymore. And uh, Riverside Raceway is known for lots of uh, racing over the years with NASCAR and Formula One and Indianapolis-type cars. And I was uh, lucky enough to have my very first race on a very popular racetrack like the Riverside International Raceway. That was right around when I was about 16 years old. Uh, from there, I was doing it, well, actually a full-time basis until life took over. I went to college, and then I got married. So I kind of put racing behind the wheel on hold at that point. But then I returned back to racing later in life. And uh, as you mentioned, I started racing uh, at the Meridian Speedway once I moved up here to Idaho. And I was racing there uh, most Saturday nights. And uh, and now I race in a series called the Northwest Tour Truck Series. Basically, they're race trucks. They're racing. They look like pickup trucks, but they're legitimate race vehicles with uh, high-powered engines in them. And so I race basically high-powered uh, pickup trucks <laughs> in, the, in the Northwest Tour Truck Series.
So I'm going to go back to when you were 16, really getting going in the racing. Uh, did you have other interests in life, like girls, school sports, uh, career planning, um, or did all of your energy go into racing? Well, uh, I'd have to tell you, if you don't mind, maybe, maybe I'm going to go back a little bit earlier than that, like through grade school and high school and, and middle school. Um, I was probably not a very good student because school didn't matter to me because all I wanted to do was focus on that next track we were going to go to on Saturday nights. So I just wanted to get through the week. And then once Saturday hit, my dad and I was off to a racetrack. So my grades kind of suffered a little bit because all I was thinking about was racing as a young as a youngster through elementary school, middle school, and, and high school. But uh, once I once I did hit 16 and I was starting to race, other interests, you know, yeah, I was still actually in high school at the age of 16. So, of course, I was into the girls, you know. and um, But I'm also, back then and still am, I'm still into all types of sports as well. I, I love hockey um, back then. I love it now. Uh, baseball, football, basketball, I just love all that stuff. So I do have other interests, but uh, racing was, and people, a lot of people like to think that racing is not a sport, and I'm here to tell you it is a sport. Uh, there's a lot of conditioning with the body that goes into, into racing. But yeah, I was into uh, all types of sports back then. Racing, of course, was on top. Didn't really mess with the girls too much. <laughs> that didn't happen until, until college. I, back then, I was pretty much pretty much just a simple kid. You know, I didn't really get into too many things. Really didn't get into too much trouble either. You know, just focused on racing. My dad and I, during race season, would just focus on going to the racetracks every Saturday night or sometimes Friday nights as well. And uh, other stuff pretty much kind of took a back seat to it. So it was, it was pretty much my, my life <laughs> back then, and it kind of is now to this day. Sounds like you had a great relationship with your dad. What was that like? My relationship with my dad. Well, I like to think, I wouldn't say it was great. Uh, him and I, you know, we, ever since, like I said, when I was three, four years old, we were hitting racetracks all the time, Friday night, Saturday night, sometimes Sunday. Sometimes we'd hit a track on all three nights, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, that's how much we were such a fan of racing. Um, so our, our common bond was racing outside of that. my dad was, you know, my dad was a former, um, world war II veteran. He was, uh, in the army, kind of a tough guy, <laughs> you know, and well, he, he would, um, you know, he was, he was kind of rough on me, you know, um, kind of tough on me back then. Uh, understandably though, you just want to make sure that, you know, I stayed out of trouble and making sure I was walking down the right path in life. But, uh, yeah, he was, he was kind of tough on me and, so our relationship was, uh, it was, it was decent, I should say. He unfortunately passed back in 2007 and, uh, I, I, I do miss him. You know, he was, he was my buddy. Um, we just go to the racetrack all the time and, uh, that's just, um, that's, that's just the one thing that my dad and I just had in common, just going to the racetrack and, and sharing, you know, creating some great memories and, and of course, uh, going to the racetrack and, and enjoying our friends as well. You know, we, we create a lot of friendships at the racetrack also. So, you know. He, he was a good guy. You know, I have to say he was a good guy. And uh, I was, I'm thankful that he got me, got me involved in, a, in, a, in a, such an exciting sport as racing. And I would hope he would be kind of proud of what I'm doing today in racing as well. So you've had quite a career, a long career in this. I'll bet you have some pretty exciting highlights. What are those juicy ones? Well, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm, I'm heading towards 50 years in as being involved in racing, whether from a fan or being a race driver, being a race announcer on a racing team. Um, there's really not one memory that sticks out in my mind. I've been to, as a fan, many popular races across the country. I've been to the Daytona 500 twice, been to the Indianapolis 500 once. And there's some other <laughs> popular races across the country that I've been to that many, maybe, maybe some fans have never heard of, but they're popular in my mind and they're very popular in, in the racing world as well. It's been fun. The journey's been fun. And I'm, I'm still, there's still more things on the bucket list I want to accomplish in racing still as well. There's still some more other races I want to go to as a fan uh, before, I, before I leave this world. You know, being, between being a, um, a race driver, racing on some of the 
coolest tracks in the country. I mentioned Riverside Raceway. I, there was a track in um, Northern California in Monterey called Laguna Seca Raceway. The Phoenix International Raceway, <laughs> I've raced at as well. So there's that. And there's some really cool tracks across the country I've, I've announced at as well. So I can't, there's not really one memory that, that sticks out in my mind. Um, just just a, lot of, a lot of really, really cool memories I've created. And still, still have more to create before, I, before I'm done. We lived about five miles from the, what's it called, Phoenix International Speedway. We went one time to one of the races. All those fancy, expensive cars, and those guys went in a circle. They were so close to each other, nobody could have gotten out and run around the others like to take the lead. It was just a circle. It's like a like a toy train. We didn't see any excitement, any no, I just couldn't see why people paid big bucks to see something where it was going to end up the same way it started. Well, you know, I understand your experience, Steve. And to um, explain to you, a lot of people that are new to the sport or never actually been to a race before, they might look at it as cars just going in circles. You know, of course, circle track racing, oval racing is just one form of racing. There's road course racing, um, where you go both left and right, which is what formula one does, you know, and then there's drag racing where you just go straight down the track without any turns. So there's, there's other, there's different forms of racing, but you were talking about oval racing and I can understand some, some people just think, you know, these cars are just, they're just turning left. They're going in circles. What's, what's the, what's the big, what's the big deal about it? You know? And I'm here to tell you, go into a track in person, like the Daytona 500, you see 42 cars out there, 42 stock cars, 3,000 pounds each. They're going close to 200 miles an hour, and they're side by side. They're inches, of, inches apart from each other, and they're doing that for about three hours. You know, And, and when they wreck, you see the, the, big, the big wrecks they have. Thankfully, there's, there's been a lot of research in safety over the years, and the safety is just phenomenal uh, to this day. So when you, when you go that fast and the wrecks happen... It's scary, but you know, you, you a lot of people have confidence in the safety. So you don't see the the injuries and the, the deaths um like you used to from back in the day. But going back to the to the racing part, there is some excitement to it, you know, side by side, like I mentioned, side by side, inches away from each other, over two hundred miles an hour, go to a drag strip. An organization called the National Hot Rod Association, which is NHRA, they travel across the country. They have these cars that are funny cars. They're called funny cars. They're top fuel cars, 10,000 pound, uh, 10,000 horsepower engines with nitro fuel in them. And they go 330 miles an hour in a quarter mile. And to, to witness that in person, that, that there is, is, uh, you ever been outside during an earthquake? Uh, almost, almost similar to that. You feel the vibration going through the fruit, through the, through the, uh, through the ground and through your body. And, uh, you know, there's other stuff too. You see, you smell the fuel, you smell the burning tires. Um, a lot of people think that's exciting. I think it's exciting. So you have to, yeah, there, people have to look at it from a different perspective, you know, not just cars going in circle. There is, there is a certain excitement to it. And in a way, a lot of death defying excitement as well. You know, people love that as well. So that's, it just kind of depends on how you look at it, I guess. You mentioned the friends you and your father made as you went to the different, I was going to say meets, uh, races, I guess mm -hmm. is a better word, <laughs> together. Um, and in um, your years since, I bet you formed a lot of really great friendships. Can you tell us about some of those? I sure have. Um, I, I still keep in touch with a friend of mine who him and I met at the racetrack when we were seven years old. And to this day, we're still friends. Matter of fact, I talked to him on the phone just the other day. And he races back east where I'm from. So I've made, I made some great friendships along the way. The, uh, I guess we can take it even a step further. The marriages I've had, my, my first marriage and my second marriage, um, luckily, 
they were kind of already into racing. So that was, that was right there. That was like, okay, if they're already into racing, that's, that's a plus. I think I'll, you know, I'll be with them. But, uh, um, the friendships are really cool because you, you get to go on these trips or first off, you get to go, the, you get to meet up at the racetrack with your friends. So you get to hang out with your friends all night long. You chat with them, you laugh with them, you know, and you watch them racing in, in front of your eyes. Sometimes there's, uh, trips that you take to these racetracks. Sometimes they're five hours away, 10 hours away. I, Linda and I did a trip 10 years ago to Iowa for a race and it was 22 hours from here, uh, on the road. And we actually did all 22 hours in one day, <laughs> in one day. So, you know, you can, you can take road trips with your friends and talk in the car. Part of the, part of the enjoyment of racing is the friendships you do make from a fan perspective or from a, um, I've got some race drivers that are friends of mine as well, you know, through, through, from, from me being a race driver, I, I've made some friendships in other race drivers through my announcing, working at the track. I've made some plenty of friendships through, um, the owners of the tracks and the people I work with at the tracks. So the, the friendships is, is probably the thing I enjoy the most out of the whole thing is, um, those are the friendships that you do create. And a lot of those friendships are friendships that'll last for your, your entire life. By meeting so many people, having so many friends, are there any uh, surprise perks that come with the celeb status? Like, do people recognize you when you're walking down the street or at the store? <laughs> I really have to, I got to laugh at that one because I got the sense, I got a weird sense of humor at home. I like to uh, get on my wife's nerves by saying that, you know, I went to Walmart today and I had about 20 people come up to me and want my autograph because of what I do in racing, and which is, which is baloney. That's farther from the truth. I'll joke with my kids at home saying, you know what, what do you think of your dad as he's pretty much a legend in racing here in the Treasure Valley, you know, here in Idaho. What do you think about that? I get on there nervous by saying that. And all that stuff I say cannot be farther from the truth. And I truly don't believe that at all. So uh, I do that just to get on their nerves. But I don't, I don't think the, the stuff I do with, with the, the podcast on Facebook in front of the cameras, the, the tracks I announce at, I currently for this, this actually in 2021, I'll be announcing at four different racetracks throughout the entire racing season. And then when I have time, I'll try to find time to race my racetrack as well. So with all that comes with people noticing you with, with what you do in front of the cameras or listening to you at the racetrack through the, the PA system or just watching you uh, from the stands, watching you race your, race your vehicle on the track. People do, people do notice you. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Do I think of myself as a celebrity? I personally don't think myself as a celebrity, but I, I've learned over the years to uh, keep myself grounded and I'm very humble with everything. Even though people come up to me and say all the time, you're the best announcer. Well, not all the time, but I do People have people come up to me once in a while and say, you're the best announcer we've ever heard. Some of the stuff that I announce for on TV a lot of people from the Midwest and East Coast will say that announcer that's announcing is the best announcer we've ever heard. I'll hear stuff like that, and it's it's all good to hear, but I'll make sure that my ego stays in check. I make sure my ego does not get out of line because I've, believe it or not, I've there's a lot of egos in racing. Whether you're a race driver or an announcer, sometimes I wonder why people with certain jobs in racing have an ego. So I, I just make sure. With all that said, I make sure my I make sure that everything's in check. I stay humble as possible. The comments that come my way, they're, they're nice to hear, but I keep myself, keep myself grounded and, um, any perks with it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll, I'll go to another racetrack as a fan and they'll recognize me and say, you know what, DJ, come on in, you can come in for free tonight. You know, you don't have to pay. Uh, Hey DJ, you want to maybe sometime down the road, you want to want to get in my race car sometime and just do some practice laps. So there's, yeah, there's certain perks about it, but, uh, I don't do it for the Nord. You know, I don't do I don't do it for the uh, the popularity. It's not a popularity contest for me. I don't do it for that. I just enjoy everything I do in racing, whether it's announcing um, or driving or um, being a host on a podcast. Well, I'm going to look for your star on the Hollywood sidewalk anyway.
Have your family members also become racing enthusiasts? How's that work with family? How are they doing it? Or is this just your thing? How's that work? So in my immediate family, uh, which consisted of my mom, my dad, my sister, and I, I was the only one that actually went farther than just being a race fan. I was the only one that actually actually that was able to get in a race car and actually drive competitively. Of course, I was the only one in my family that was an announcer. My dad, he was just a fan for, for many years until he passed away. Uh, if you look at my extended family, I have an aunt and an uncle back in New Jersey. They owned a couple of race cars that were involved in NASCAR back in the 50s when NASCAR was very young. So they were involved in that. They owned, they owned the cars, and they had some popular race drivers that raced for them. Outside of that, I'm pretty much the only one the only one in the family uh, drove a race car and, uh, and do what I do with, with announcing and doing stuff on the media side with the, with the podcast. So you said your wife, Linda, is supportive of your racing. I guess I'll, I'll not speak for her. <laughs> but uh, what about your kids? Well, Linda, let me back you up here. Linda, she, she is supportive, thank goodness. When I first met her, she was a, a fan of the sport. But then I got her involved on what it's like to be on the other side of the fence, meaning um, being on a race team, you know, my race team, showing her what I do as far as being involved in as announcing, being part of the being part of the crew at the at the racetrack itself, being an employee of the racetrack, so she's I've introduced her into being involved more in racing, and she's finding out that there's a lot of work involved, and there are some nights that she just wants to sit in the grandstands with her friends and just watch the cars. That's it. So that you know, she's got a good taste of what it's like to to get involved even more. The rest of my family consists of, uh, let's see here, because we have five kids combined. <laughs> so I got to think about this. I have three stepkids from, you know, my wife's previous um, marriage. I have a daughter from my previous marriage, and then we have a son that we share together, you know. And of all them, they're all kind of into racing, but I have to say this: my son, who's our son, who's nine years old, he's really involved in it. He's actually starting to talk about now wanting to race himself. Which, you know, he's uh, gotten into racing. Uh, well, actually, he took laps in a go-kart last year at a track up in Star called Glen Morgan Raceway. He took laps in a, in a one of our friend's go-karts, and he, he liked that. So we just wanted to, we wanted to see if we should go any further with my son, if he wanted to actually pursue racing even further. He loved it, so I think we're going to look into one way or another getting him involved in racing. You know, looking maybe getting him started in some, some, type, some type of go-kart racing as well. How did you get into announcing at races? Very good question. Back when I was in college, I did a lot of uh, radio work. I was a disc jockey for my, my local college uh, station for two years. But I didn't want to pursue radio because I didn't want to like move across the country every two or three years from radio station to radio station. So I kind of gave that up. But one day I thought, what can I do in racing outside of being a race driver? What can I do that it maybe might be a good fit for me? And so I thought, you know what? I used to be a radio announcer. Hmm, let's see, racing, radio announcer. Let me try race announcing, being, being a track announcer. So I, I uh, was living back east at the time, North Carolina, and this is going on now 13 years ago. And I just called this one guy who owned this one racing series that travels from track to track throughout North Carolina and South, South Carolina and Georgia and stuff like that. I said, hey, do you uh, mind if I announce a couple of races for you for your series? Do you mind? You know, I'm, I'm kind of just getting started. Can I, can I just try it out and maybe you can see how I do? Maybe I can be your guys' announcer if I'm good enough? So, yeah, sure. Come on out. So my very first race that I announced at was a track in South Carolina. 
And luckily, there was only 13 cars that showed up in his race series. So there wasn't a lot of cars. So it made it kind of simple for me. And I just, uh, you know, I kind of had a game plan going into it. You know, how, how I was going to announce. And it, it all worked out. And from there, I've, I've announced in um, tracks in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. I've announced at a track in Las Vegas called the Bull, the Bull Ring in Las Vegas. And I've announced at, let's see, where else? At some tracks here in Idaho, and I've announced at a couple of tracks in Oregon as well. So you mentioned earlier, 20 tracks in seven in Utah, <laughs> 20 tracks in seven states, and I'm going to be, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet, but there's going to be a new track in 2021 I'm going to be announcing that as well. So it's been, it's been a fun ride so far, and uh, you know, I can, only, I can only race behind the wheel for so long before we all get older, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I think when I retire from racing, which I don't know when that's going to be, maybe pretty soon here, um, I'll probably stick with announcing for even longer. Did announcing automatically morph into DVDs and TV, or is that something you pursued? A local production company, the name of their company is called I-10 TV. They're local, and they wanted to get into um, the local racing here throughout Idaho. And so they, they approached me. They said, hey, we know, we know that you've been announcing at these tracks for quite some time. How would you like to do some stuff in front of the camera? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I've never really done stuff in front of the camera before. So that was a learning experience. I, I do, um, since then I've done announcing for them. Um, yes. In front of the camera, I've done interviews, interviewing race drivers in front of a camera with a microphone. That was kind of tough. <laughs> um, and then I do also what is known as voiceovers. They, they record the race on their cameras. They download it on a um, flash drive. They send it to me and then I get it. And then I have a little play to you. I have this little recording box that I announce into and I just watch the video on my laptop and I'll announce it into a microphone, which goes into my little recording box. I send that back to them <clears throat> via email. And so they put my voice um, together with the video and it basically sounds like I'm at the track, announcing at the track when I'm actually recording from my own laptop at home. So it's called a voiceover and they put it all together and now they put it on um, YouTube and they actually put their um, videos also on Roku as well. So I'm on, I'm on Roku. <laughs> you mentioned the dangers of racing and that it's um, a safer sport than it used to be. However, on TV, we've all seen the crashes and the flames and all that. How do you, your pit crew, and your family handle potential disaster? That's another very good question. There is also dangers in racing. And any, any race driver will tell you that we're all aware of the dangers, but when we do it, when we actually get on the racetrack and, and drive, you have to put those dangers in the back of your mind. Because if, if they're... In your mind all the time, you're not going to perform well on the racetrack. There's always going to be fear in you on the racetrack, and you just have to put it in the back of your mind. But every so often, um, we do see the, the major wrecks. You know, there was a matter of fact, there was a big, uh, an, a big accident in a Formula One race a few weeks ago where a car crashed into the wall and it caught on fire. And the driver somehow climbed out of the car and walked away out of that fire. That was very, that was very amazing. The, the safety aspect these days is very good. There's always going to be room for improvement in safety. That's, that's, there's no doubt about that. But if you look at the safety nowadays compared to the safety back in the 40s and 50s when racing was fairly new, I don't think I could ever drive a race car back in the 40s and 50s. They had very minimal safety. And today, it's, it's top-notch, and it's still improving. So we, we have to think about that. We, um, you have to put the dangers and everything. It's, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be in, in your mind. Put in the back of your mind and just feel confident in your safety equipment that you have. Any race driver will tell you that safety equipment is the first priority when driving a car. How fast your motor is, how fast your, 
your car is in, in general, that should be secondary. Always make safety your top priority when you're building a car or when you're thinking about purchasing stuff for your for your vehicle, like tires or whatever it could be, engines and tires or something like that. Make safety your first priority. Make sure you have the top-notch safety equipment in your car because you want to be safe. It doesn't matter if you're going 30 to 50 miles an hour on a racetrack or you're doing 200 miles on a racetrack. That you have to have top-notch safety equipment either way. So what kind of safety equipment do you have in your car or on your body? Well, there's, there's lots, but I'll, I'll, I'll name some of the ones that are, that are pretty important in your, in your vehicle, whether it's a race truck that like I have, or it could be a stock car, it could be a sprint car. You have safety, we'll call them safety bars. They're called some forms of racing. They're called roll cages. Some, some forms of racing. They're just, they're, they're called safety bars. You're, you're surrounded by these bars that'll protect you upon impact, whether it's a impact from the side or from the top. If you roll your car, you're kind of in a, like a, a cocoon of safety bars that surrounds your cockpit. So that'll protect you. There's been some advancements in racing seats where the seat will surround you and protect you as well. Of course, you have your helmet. The, the helmets, the technology going into safety helmets these days are phenomenal. They also have what is known as a Hans device. It's called Hans. It's, it's stands for a head and neck restraint where it buckles onto your helmet and basically it, it goes on your shoulders. You put your, you put your, um, your seatbelts over it. And then after that, it buckles onto your helmet. So in case of a front impact, your head can only go so far without it. Your head would probably go all the way and probably snap your neck. That's the best way to put it to the, to the viewers that probably don't know what I'm talking about. So there's, there's, um, Improvements in safety all over the place. Your your driving suit, they're made out of a material where it, it does burn, but doesn't it doesn't burn very fast. So it gives you time to get out of your your race vehicle in case your racing vehicle is on fire. There are racing suits that are one layer. So there's some racing suits that are two layers, three layers. I personally have a, a three layer suit. I know there are some other forms of racing where they require five layers of material in your racing suit. And of course, you have your your gloves that are fire retardant as well, shoes that are fire retardant. So you're covered with all kinds of safety from, from, from uh, head down to your, to your toes. And again, the safety is going to be improving as we go on in the future. But I have to say right now, the safety is just, is just phenomenal everywhere. I'm sure our listeners who are into racing would like to know about your podcast. Why don't you tell us about Turn 5 Live, how you came up with the name, the format, the other hosts, and how listeners can find it. All right. So Turn 5 Live, um, it is a racing podcast like you mentioned. It's on actually Facebook. We've had it on Sunday nights before. Right now we have it on Monday nights, uh, 7 p.m. on Monday nights, Mountain Time. And it's mainly during racing season because right now here uh, during the wintertime, there's no racing, really not much racing going on anywhere. So it's called the off season in racing. Racing season on average is between April and September, sometimes October. If you're living in the southern, you know, part of the U.S., like Arizona and California, racing season is a little bit longer, you know, going from February to sometimes November when the weather is still still good down there. The focus of our podcast mainly is to recognize and promote local racing, like local racing as in here in the Treasure Valley of, of Idaho. We have local racing out there towards Twin Falls. When we first started the podcast, we were just talking about our local track here in Meridian, Idaho, which is Meridian Speedway. Then we started branching out to other racetracks. We started talking about Meridian Speedway, Magic Valley Speedway in Twin Falls. Uh, we started talking about Firebird Raceway up there in Eagle and Star. And there's some other tracks. There's a track, a little dirt karting, karting track in Emmett called Black Canyon Raceway. We started talking about them. So we like to talk about 
local small town tracks. And we've expanded actually to tracks in Oregon and Washington as well now. So we like to talk about that. But when it comes down to it, we like to talk about racing in general. We'll, we'll start up We'll start our podcast off with talking about national racing, which includes NASCAR racing, IndyCars, Formula One. We'll talk a little bit about that, headlines, newsworthy items in those type of racing. And then we'll talk about some regional racing. When we say regional, we'll talk about some races that happen maybe down in Southern California or down in Arizona. Regional meaning West Coast on the West Coast region. And of course, I mentioned earlier about the the local racing as well, which now, like I said, expanded to Oregon and Washington and Utah. So Steve, you mentioned how we come up with the name Turn 5 Live. I, I wasn't one of the founding members of Turn 5 Live. Probably about three, four months into their podcast is when they brought me on board. So I wasn't actually one of the ones that started the podcast. So the background on the name really kind of escapes me. I wish my my buddy Todd was with me, who was one of my co-hosts. He was he was actually one of the founders of the of the show. He can explain to you what how we come up with the name Turn Five Live. But I will tell you that in a circle track, an oval track, we would go in circles. <laughs> um, there is turn one, turn two, turn three, and turn four. There's no turn five. There's no turn six. You know, in a circle track. So we we decided to throw in something kind of nifty, saying Turn Five. You know, Turn Five Live. But there, there is there is a meaning behind it. I think Todd mentioned that there's only four turns on a racetrack. We're just going to name it Turn Five, just to be different. And um, you know, Turn Five can be an area where we can just talk about racing. Something, something of that sort. I wish he was here with me. I, I apologize. I don't know too much about the name on it. But viewers, like I said, can go on Facebook, search for Turn Five Live, follow it, hit the button follow, and then on Monday nights during race season. At 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, we have our show right there on Facebook. And just tune in. Just sit back. And it used to be a, a show that was an hour long. Then we expanded to an hour and a half. Now we're at two hours long. I think we're maybe probably a little bit too long with two hours. But there's so much to talk about with racing when it comes to national, regional, and local racing. And I think the other problem is, not really a problem, but we just love talking about racing. We just don't know when to stop talking about it. So... We're right at right now, right at two hours. We probably should shorten that a little bit though. Well, I took a peek at your Facebook page. And people don't have to wait for racing season. You've got videos on there, right, that people can check out now. So, okay. Um, since I'm at the microphone, I will ask, is there anything else you would like to talk about that we haven't asked you about? Probably the biggest question that I get asked is, how would I want to be remembered in racing once I leave this earth? And, uh, again, I don't do it for the popularity. I certainly don't do it for the recognition, but when people ask me that question, I just want to be known as somebody who actually made an impact in some way in, in local racing, whether it's local or on the national side or on the regional side, I want to be known as somebody that made some, somewhat of an impact in racing and maybe made a difference in some way for the better. You've been in racing so long, DJ, uh, so many experiences. You've seen a lot of changes, probably. Where do you see it going from here? What kind of changes could be made? Excellent question. There's so many things I think about going forward with the future of racing. There's a lot of great memories I have in it. There are some negative aspects about racing as well. You know, due to the economy, the economy doesn't help out too much. Racing is very expensive as well. At the top level of racing, you're talking teams that pump millions and millions of dollars into their own race team with the economy, especially with COVID hitting this year, there's a lot of companies that sponsor race cars that, that can't do it because those companies also are kind of struggling as well financially. So it's so down the road. I, I just wish, I don't know, this, this could be a lot to ask for. I kind of wish and hope that 
racing doesn't get any more expensive than it is now. That way people can get involved in racing if they want to as uh, at a reasonable at a, at a reasonable price, we'll, we'll call it. There's a lot of racetracks across the country that are shutting down because of um, land development, people coming in and building homes and subdivisions. Typically what happens, a racetrack will be there. Then before you know it, there's going to be new homes being built around that racetrack. Then before you know it, a lot of complaints from the neighbors, and then therefore the track closes down. My feeling is the track was there first. So if you want to build homes around it, that's fine. But the neighbors are going to have to deal with it because the track was there first. That's my personal opinion. But I, I hope tracks don't shut down any more than they are right now, especially the, the local tracks, the Saturday night tracks, the small town tracks. They're the tracks that actually uh, produce the race drivers that go on to the big time in racing. They're the ones that create the talent at the bottom level. I hope these little racetracks stick around. And, and if anything, I hope new race, racetracks are going to be built as well. And, and the other thing, like I mentioned before, I hope the safety the safety will continue improving, even though it's great right now. Once in a while, we will still see race drivers get injured pretty bad to this day. So that happens rarely compared to how it was back a long time ago when racing first started. But there's still more improvement in safety, I believe. So let's keep on improving safety. Let's keep the sport going strong. Let's not close down any more racetracks. And let's make sure the cost of racing doesn't go through the roof to where nobody can afford to go racing. Linda, do you want to come to Mike and say your your side of this? This is your chance to, you know, have your save. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After DJ left, we thought of more questions. He graciously agreed to record his answers for us and send over the recording. For that reason, the next few minutes will have a different sound on his end and ours, but we think you'll enjoy hearing more of his unique story. I'm going to start with the first question. What is the fastest you have driven on the track? The fastest I've ever driven. Let me think here. Well, you know, these cars do not have speedometers. Uh, they have what is known as tachometers that give you um, a reading of how fast your engine is turning in RPMs, uh, which is revolutions per minute. But I would have to say the fastest I've ever driven was probably about 160 to 170 miles an hour. And that was earlier when I was younger in my life when I used to race at Riverside Raceway. Um, they have this big, long straightaway there. It's a road course where you turn left and right, but they, they have this big, long straightaway where uh, supposedly we attain speeds of about 160 to 170 miles an hour um, at that track. You say that you race a pickup truck. I'm curious, how is racing a truck different than racing a car? The answer is there's no difference. It's basically a stock car chassis with a, uh, a pickup truck body on top. So there's really no difference. Just the looks is the difference. That's all. Have you ever been in a racing accident? Have I ever been in an accident? Yes, every race driver would be lying to you if they said that they have never been in an accident. Um, I've been in a few myself. Uh, one that comes to mind was when I was racing my Hornets, which is my four-cylinder race car at Meridian Speedway. I went into turn three a little too fast. My car went straight into the wall in turn three, and my car went up on two wheels and then came back down on all four wheels. So it was a pretty heavy impact. Uh, my safety gear, which I always praise, make sure your safety gear is top-notch my safety gear did its job and I just walked away with just some bruises is all I'd like to know what it feels like to go super fast well, you know, every race driver, while they're racing out there, they do feel the speed at whatever type of race car they're racing. Uh, every race car is different than the other, so there are some that are 
a little slow, slower I should say, and there are some race cars that are pretty fast. I've driven some from slower types to faster types. I will say that the speed is kind of relative. At first, you'll, you'll feel the speed, uh, whatever type of race car you jump into, but after a while, you get used to seeing things pass by you at that certain speed. And a good example would be if you're on the freeway and you say you're doing 55 miles an hour, used to seeing billboards you're passing by at that speed and then you increase your speed to say 75 or 80 it'll take a little while but then you'll get used to seeing those same billboards or say an overpass you drive under uh, all these little things that you pass by you get used to seeing those moving at a uh, at a certain speed so you get the answer to your question is you get used to it after a while so the speed really isn't very scary after a while. It shouldn't be scary at all if you're any type of race driver, but you get used to things in the race, in the cockpit of the race car, watching things go by you as you're passing it at a certain speed. When you're running around the track at high speed, what's going through your head? What goes through my head while I'm racing? Well, it depends what type of race I'm in. If it's a short race, say 30 laps, and I'm starting at the back of the field, my main goal is to get to the front of the field, but I only have 30 laps to get it done, so I wanna get up there as fast as I can. I wanna do it as safe as I can. In other words, I don't wanna crash, but I wanna get up to the front of the field, preferably in first place, as fast as I can, because I only have 30 laps to get it done. There are other races where they're 100 laps long, so you have a little bit of time. So if I'm starting in the back of the field, for those, you want to be a little bit patient. Um, you don't want to get out there and drive as fast as you can right away and pass cars as fast as you can right away. Take your time. Um, pick your moments when you, when you want to pass cars and be somewhat safe about it. And uh, it's all about patience being patient and getting up to the front of the field up to first place in that scenario whether it's a, a long when it's a long race say it's 100 laps or or longer than that so you're always thinking about strategy in your head while you're racing and you're also thinking about safety you don't want to cause a wreck uh, you don't want to be in a wreck you're always looking uh, far as far down the track as you can to see if anything's developing in front of you uh, any type of wrecks that might be developing that you have to try to avoid um, so you have all these things in your mind you want to uh, they're playing out in your mind to be successful in a race you talked a little bit about your dad I'm curious about your mom and how she was involved in racing or not <laughs> so you might just tell us a little bit more about her well, my mom, a little bit about her. Um, she is from Japan. So, yes, I am half Japanese. My father was overseas back in the late 50s. Um, met my mom over there. They got married um, and had my sister right away. And then about nine years later, had me. As far as my mom is concerned, when it comes to racing, she could care less about it. She was not interested in it. Matter of fact, I think she was only... She only went to one race with my father and I, and that was it. Uh, so she wasn't really interested. So she pretty much let my father and I go ahead and go to these racetracks all the time. How'd she feel about me racing? She wasn't very fond of it because she knew about the dangers. And just like any other mother who has their son or daughter in racing, uh, she was worried as well. So she wasn't very fond of it, but she still supported me because she knew that was my passion. Your job is driving a school bus, so you have lots of kids on it. Does your race driving <laughs> influence your bus driving? So I get to ask this all the time about my Monday through Friday job, which is a school bus driver. And people ask me all the time, well, do you drive the bus like you drive your race car? Do you drive it fast? And my answer to that is no. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't even drive my passenger car fast on public roads because any race driver will tell you that there is a place to race and there's a place where you have to be safe. And of course, the public roads, whatever you're driving, that's the place to be safe. Uh, especially when you're driving a school bus and you have multiple lives 
inside your vehicle. So you have to be extra careful when you drive a school bus. I realize what I'm driving, so I will be extra careful obeying the speed limits, um, being a defensive driver, watching for other cars, as well as paying attention to my own driving and being extra careful. And on the flip side of the coin, I can flip the switch, and when I'm in a racetrack on a Saturday night, that's a time when I can go fast and not worry about speed limits and not worry about not worry as much about other cars like I do on a public road. So it's pretty much foot to the floor, go as fast as I can on Saturday nights in my race truck when I'm driving the school bus or my passenger car on the road. No. I do the total opposite. I'm very cautious, I'm a little bit more aware of my surroundings when I'm driving my passenger car or my school bus. As much as I think, as much as I think my students would love for me to drive the bus like my race car, the answer is no. Safety comes first. DJ, thanks so much for coming. Now I know a little bit about racing. Well, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Becky, for having me as well. And a little bit of a different uh, role here. I'm the one being interviewed, and usually I'm the one at a racetrack interviewing other drivers or calling a race on the microphone, but I'm never the one usually being interviewed, so I hope everything I said was entertaining as well. And it was it was great to go down memory lane with you guys, my past in racing, and just talking about racing in general. It's just, racing has been my life, and uh, it'll always be my life, and I want to thank you for having me and allowing me to share that with you. And like we say on our podcast on Turn Revive Live, we will see you at the races. Thank you so much, DJ. You know, you might just see us at the races. <laughs> uh, that's been very interesting. I was especially struck by you saying that it takes those um, small tracks, the small local ones for kids, young men, <laughs> to um, test their metal, if that's the word, and um, just get the experience to go on uh, farther, if that's um, uh, the lifestyle that they're destined for, I guess, or you know, a hobby that becomes a little more than a hobby. So anyway, uh, many thanks for joining us, and thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you uh, following Let Me Tell You a Story, and I want to remind you that you too have a story. Be sure to live it to the fullest. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.